0: Welcome to Pick Six Movies, where each season we pick six different movies that fall under one common theme. We give you some insight behind how, when, where, and why each movie was made. And on top of that, at no charge to you, you get a full review of the movie from me, Beau Ransdell, and my old pal, Chad Cooper. We have made it all the way to Season 5, and this is Episode 3 in our series... The Old Men and DC. This season, we're looking at movies that feature heroes inspired by the DC universe. You know, your Swamp Things, your Super People, your Steels. That's right, tonight we are discussing 1997's Steel, starring Shaquille O'Neal. But enough for me, I'll leave it to Chad to fill you in on the rest.
1: On November 18th, 1992, Superman died. No, he really died. Like, dead-dead. No foolin' this time. Superman, the Man of Steel, American icon, breathed his last breath and was gone. Forever. His downfall was at the hands of the genetically engineered monstrosity derived from the ruins of Krypton known as Doomsday. The citizens of metropolis looked on stunned as did the public at large all collectively asking how could this happen and the answer was simple weren't nobody buying superman comics like they used to the idea to kill off superman began after an idea was pitched where clark kent you know superman was going to marry lois lane but it turns out that the tv series lois and clark the new adventures of superman was going to do a similar storyline of getting these two hitched. So the team at DC Comics needed a different gimmick other than getting Superman married. And someone jokingly suggested that they kill Superman, which isn't too far off from getting married, am I right, guys? (laughs) Anyway. With comic book sales slumping, the writing staff decided to off the most iconic superhero ever just to teach the public a lesson by taking him away. Rather than just kill him off in one single comic, the idea was to present the death of Superman in three story arcs. The first arc was entitled Doomsday, and it detailed the battle with the aforementioned bony skin monster Doomsday, ending with Superman simply being beaten to death by the monstrosity. The second story arc was titled Funeral for a Friend and followed everyone mourning Superman's death, including his super pals and sadly, his adoptive father, Pa Kent, who has a heart attack and falls into a coma during which he meets up with Superman in the afterlife and talks him into coming back to Earth, because that's how things work in comic books. And the third story arc was entitled Reign of Superman, where there was an emergence of four Superman imposters, including Cyborg Superman, Superboy, Eradicator and Man of Steel, or, as he was known by his friends, Steel. The character Steel is a mashup of Superman of sorts and the African-American folk hero John Henry. According to the legend, John Henry's ability to drive steel with his hammer was challenged in a competition against a rock drilling machine, where John Henry won the steel driving competition only to die in the end as his heart gave out from the stress of the battle. The legend of John Henry gave rise to a famous folk song, books, plays, and the DC comic character, Steele. So much so that Steele's real name is Dr. John Henry Irons. Well, that's subtle. Dr. John Henry Irons was a weapons engineer who didn't take it too well when a powerful, man-portable energy cannon he designed was used to kill innocent people. As an alternative to working for a dubious corporate war machine, Dr. John Henry Irons faked his own death and moved to Metropolis, where his life was saved by, that's right, Superman. As a way to show gratitude, Superman told Dr. John Henry Irons to live a life worth saving. And so, when Superman and Doomsday were going mano-a-mano, Dr. John Henry Irons tried to step in and help Superman in the battle with a sledgehammer, But it didn't help because, remember, Superman died. In his attempt to save Superman, which he didn't, Dr. John Henry Irons is buried in the debris of this epic battle with his sledgehammer in hand. And shortly after Superman's death, Dr. John Henry Irons decided that he must stop doomsday. Good luck with that, Doc. With Superman gone, the gangs of Metropolis showed up to rule the city, I'm guessing that's because the police had no experience in protecting or serving the citizens of Metropolis. That was Superman's job, right? And it turns out these gang members were wreaking havoc using souped-up versions of the weapons that Dr. John Henry Irons had created. Oh, the irony. Irony. Or maybe that's just an unfortunate coincidence. Either way, to combat these no goodnik gang members, Dr. John Henry Irons creates and dons a suit of powered-up armor in remembrance of Superman in order to stop the gang war. Dr. John Henry Irons is more than a brilliant engineer. He's an athlete. He's also super strong. Plus, he wears a suit made out of iron, uh, I mean steel, that allows him to fly and makes him super duper strong. His initial man-of-steel suit had a wrist-mounted rivet gun and a sledgehammer, you know, like Thor, I mean like John Henry. His hammer is a key weapon in his suit's arsenal, and continued improvements enabled his hammer to hit harder and fly farther. The hammer became capable of independent flight and even had an onboard guidance symbol developed by Stark industry. No, no, no. That is not correct. Strike that. Let's move on. And by move on, I mean let's go back in time. By 1997, there were only a handful of black superheroes that had made their way to the big screen. And to date, Steele is one of a small number of black superheroes to make it to the big screen. The year before Christopher Reeve iconically portrayed Superman... The black exploitation film Abar, the first black Superman, was released. In this film, an African American family moves into a bigoted neighborhood. The scientist father of the persecuted black family gives a superpower concoction to a tough as nails bodyguard, Abar, who gets superpowers to fight the racists. If you would like to track down this film, it was eventually released on VHS under the title In Your Face. In 1993, comedian Robert Townsend released the wholly original superhero movie, Meteor Man. Townsend scored big with a satire of the film industry with the movie Hollywood Shuffle, and then decided to follow it up with Meteor Man, a superhero movie about an inner-city school teacher who gets superpowers from a meteor. Meteor Man uses his powers to shut down crack houses and make peace between rival gang members. Meteor Man is also scared of heights, and therefore he only flies three or four feet off the ground. It's a pretty funny movie if you've never seen it. In 1994, Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer, two alumni from the TV sketch comedy show In Living Color, created another uniquely black superhero, Blank Man. Wayans co-wrote and starred in this film, which was more of a spoof on superhero movies than a traditional take within the genre. It embraced a lot of the kitschy tone of the 1960s Batman TV show, with Blank Man donning a utility belt and scene transitions with the Blank Man logo. Now, two weeks before the theatrical release of Steel, the big screen adaptation of Todd McFarlane's independent comic Spawn made its way into multiplexes. Spawn was an African-American superhero who was capable of selling as many copies of his comics as Batman was. However, the movie Spawn failed to capture the essence of the popular comic book and really didn't wow fans and the movie going public at large. And that's about it when it came to superhero movies starring African-American protagonists until Steel opened on August 15, 1997. The superhero Steel came to the attention of iconic music producer Quincy Jones and his partner David Saltzman, and they liked the idea of bringing an African-American role model to the silver screen. To do this, they reached out to Kenneth Johnson to write and direct the film. Johnson had a successful career that spanned 20 years prior to Steele's release, with some notable successes on the small screen with other superheroes. His early TV work included writing on The Six Million Dollar Man, he created the character Jamie Summers in that show's spinoff, The Bionic Woman, and he created the CBS adaptation of The Incredible Hulk. For anyone around in the 1980s, you can thank Mr. Johnson for the TV miniseries V, where reptilian aliens invaded Earth, and he was also involved with a follow-up to that v. The Final Battle. Later in his career, he directed Short Circuit 2. I know, I know, I know, but he bounced back with the Fox series Alien Nation and the subsequent TV movies that followed that series. He also wrote the story for D3, The Mighty Ducks. Ain't Hollywood a crazy place? In an oral history of the movie Steel, over at SlashFilm.com, Kenny Johnson said, I got a call from Quincy Jones. He called to say he had this Warner Brothers property, this comic book called Steel, about a black guy who's not quite a superhero but becomes a hero, and there had not been a black male lead in anything like that at that time. Johnson went on to say, It really appealed to me. I was raised in a really bigoted, anti-Semitic household. So whenever I have a chance to strike back at intolerance and prejudice, as I did in Alien Nation, I try to chip away at that. So anyway, the idea that this black guy who had created weaponry in the service fights back against street gangs with a suit of armor, it was sort of a poor man's Iron Man. So I said, that sounds like fun, Quincy. Who's going to star? And he said, well, we got Shaquille O'Neal attached. And I said, that's great, Quincy. But who's going to star? Now, keep in mind, at the time, Shaquille O'Neal had just signed a $120 million contract with the L.A. Lakers. When Shaquille O'Neal came out of college, he was clearly more than just a basketball player. His size, stature, personality was all quite literally larger than life. Everything about him had an aura of transcendence as an athlete and as a marketable advertising spokesman, musician, and as it turns out, actor. In 1994, Shaquille O'Neal starred alongside Nick Nolte in the college basketball vehicle Blue Chips, where he received positive reviews. Two years later, Shaquille O'Neal played a wish-granting genie in the family-friendly Kazam, but neither movie performed overly well at the box office. Shaquille O'Neal had also released two rap albums, Shaq Diesel in 1993 and Shaq-Fu The Return in 1994. Hey, I like calling him Shaq. The latter album dropped two weeks after the debut of the Shaq-Fu video game for the Sega Genesis and Super NES video game systems. Shaq was a hot commodity and he was everywhere. The producers and Warner Brothers, the studio behind the film, felt Shaq was their guy because everybody loved Shaq and casting a sports celebrity in a movie wasn't that crazy of an idea. Just one year earlier, Michael Jordan teamed up with Bugs Bunny in the high-concept live-action animation adventure Space Jam. Arnold Schwarzenegger blazed a trail from athletic competitor to big-screen star. Heck, even today, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has parlayed his charm and charisma into an incredible acting career. And in the mid-1990s, Shaquille O'Neal was as likely a potential movie star as any other professional athlete. And it was Kenny Johnson's job to write and direct a movie that would showcase Shaq's size, stature and marketable personality as the superhero, Steel. Johnson would go on to say of the film that the movie ultimately didn't have much to do with the source material. The comic book was very violent, and Johnson opted to swap out exploding brains for human interaction, character, and story. Johnson wrote a script that was very well liked by the producers in the studio. Johnson met with the then 24-year-old Shaq, and that went great. But knowing that the movie didn't have a marquee star in the title role, Johnson kept going to Warner Brothers requesting that a strong supporting cast be put around him to strengthen the film. But in Johnson's words, it never happened. Steele had a budget of around $21 million, and the movie needed to be completed with quick turnaround. Why? Well, Shaq needed to head off to play basketball as part of the 1996 Olympic basketball dream team. And oh yeah, remember, he had to go fulfill that $120 million contract with the LA Lakers to help address budget constraints, timing demands, and creative vision conflicts. Mark Irwin was brought in as the cinematographer. Irwin had recently worked on Wes Craven's Scream, the Wesley Snipes action film, Passenger 57, and the iconic comedy, Dumb and Dumber. So he had experience to deliver across a spectrum of genres found within a superhero movie. Rounding out the cast was Richard Roundtree, you know, Shaft, to play Uncle Joe. Annabeth Gish played the female lead, Susan Sparks. And Brat Packer Judd Nelson was cast as the bad boy villainous arms dealer. And rapper-turned-actor Ray J showed up as a street-smart kid who gets caught up in the movie's plot. Now, prior to this, Ray J had had a small part in Mars Attacks. And after this, he had a big part in the Kim Kardashian sex tape. And just a few years back, he showed up in Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no. Director Kenneth Johnson approached the project with an attitude that making movies should be fun. Johnson said, Whenever I start a movie, I always get the crew together and I tell them, look gang, we're here to do two things. To make the most artistic product we can make given the money we're given. And the second reason we're here is to have a good time. And that feeling pervades the whole set. Johnson treated the cast and crew like family. And he meant it. It was the way he approached all of his projects most of which were for the small screen. Now, keep in mind, this was at a time where if you were working in television, you weren't working on feature films. TV was where actors, writers, and directors went to end their careers. For Johnson, this was an opportunity to reverse that path a seven-foot, one-inch, 24-year-old, gigantic novice actor. Johnson said of Shaq that you could forget that he was just a kid because he's gigantic. He said, quote, When we first started working together, he'd never look me in the eye. And he explained it to me. He said, listen, Kenny, you got to understand that I was raised, my stepfather was a drill sergeant, and you never looked the sergeant in the eye. Because if you did, that was an act of aggression. And if you did, he'd clock you. So I told Shaq, I guarantee I am not going to throw any punches at you. Early in the shooting, Johnson said Shaq remained tentative around him. Johnson asked Shaq, what's wrong? Shaq asked Johnson, when are you going to start screaming? Because that's what directors do. Johnson replied, they scream? No, Shaq, that's not me. That's not going to happen. Shaq was sure Johnson would eventually crack, but Johnson remained calm. Shaq even delivered news to Johnson that his classic 30-year-old 1971 Mercedes Coupe was wrecked by a teamster, expecting Johnson to erupt in anger. But Johnson didn't. He kept his cool and said, it'll be okay. They have insurance. They'll cover that. And it was here that Shaq began to realize that Johnson was a different type of director. Production continued, and between scenes, Shaq practiced shooting free throws on a contractually ever-present basketball goal in an attempt to improve his free throw shooting percentage. There were other considerations that had to be made regarding Shaq's presence. Due to Shaq's towering size, cinematographer Mark Irwin had to be creative in how he framed Shaq with other normal-sized people. Irwin leveraged a lot of over-the-shoulder angles, or would have Shaq sit, or other people in the scene standing on steps, all in an attempt to make the framing look more natural. To contribute to the natural feel of the movie's urban setting, the film was shot in South Central Los Angeles. And in the mid-90s, gang wars were a real concern for the filmmakers, who shot a lot of the movie after the sun went down. The location for Steele's junkyard home base was selected in a pretty rough part of town. During one sequence, Steele is riding a motorcycle at night, and in the sky he is pursued by a police helicopter. Plus, they had a second helicopter that was shooting the action sequence, none of which is the sort of thing your friendly neighborhood drug dealer is interested in seeing at night. So naturally the logical response was gunfire at the film crew logically the film producers called the real police who sent over a third helicopter to help make the situation better by making it worse but in the end the production wrapped up with only minor public conflicts and it came in on time and under budget steel tested well at multiple preview screenings everyone felt confident it would be a hit And Warner Brothers held a premiere at Mann's Chinese Theater one week before the official opening of Steel. And things were looking up. But the premiere was held on the same weekend that Warner Brothers released another film, the Julia Roberts and Mel Gibson star vehicle, Conspiracy Theory. And if you're a movie studio looking to make a buck, where are you going to put your marketing dollars? A political action thriller directed by Richard Donner and starring two of Hollywood's biggest stars? Or an inner-city superhero movie, With a predominantly all-black cast and a basketball player in the lead now keep in mind this is 1997's mel gibson and superheroes at the time were mostly garbage warner brothers put limited dollars into advertising steel and when it opened it came in 16th place right behind nickelodeon's keenan and kell inspired good burger a movie that oddly enough featured a cameo by Shaquille O'Neal. The reviews of Steele were not very kind, audiences stayed away, and according to Johnson, a week later, the entire marketing department at Warner Brothers was fired. Those responsible for Steele felt they weren't supported on multiple fronts, including a lack of budget, marketing, and resources. But those that worked on the movie had a good time and did their best with what they were given. Two months after the film came out, Johnson had lunch with Billy Gerber, one of the many casualties fired from Warner Brothers. Johnson asked Gerber to explain why they didn't put a star in the movie like Wesley Snipes. Gerber told Johnson, I'll tell you, the marketing partner at Warner's came to us and said they thought they could sell more toys with Shaq than they could with Wesley. And at the time, Shaq's fans and critics were noting that he had not won an NBA championship. He was focusing too much on his music and movies and not enough on basketball. And the lack of steel success drove Shaq to take a break from acting and focus on winning an NBA championship. Which he did three years later in the year 2000 when the Lakers beat the Pacers and this will be the first of four NBA championships that Shaq would eventually help to win. Shaq went on to revive his acting career later, appearing in small cameo roles, often as himself, and doing some voice and acting work here and there. He played Big Fella in the 2018 feature film Uncle Drew, and the video game Shaq-Fu was revived for the PlayStation 4 video game system. But most people really see Shaq endorsing products these days, including Gold Bond products, the General Insurance, and Carnival Cruise Lines. So he's doing okay these days. Similar to Shaq, Johnson took some time off after Steele's release, but he returned to his roots with the reimagining of The Bionic Woman for NBC in 2007 and a subsequent revival of V over on ABC. In an interview with Den of Geek, Johnson reflected on his career and said, It's funny, people say, what show are you most proud of? And it's a bit like saying, which of your children do you like the most? I'm very proud of all of my shows, The Bionic Woman, The Incredible Hulk, and Alien Nation were all adaptations in one way or another of something that was pre-existing, and so because of that, I think I'm most probably proud of V. He went on to say, Alien Nation was the show on which I absolutely had the most fun of my entire career. I had a cast of wonderful people, all of whom loved each other, and all of whom wanted to be there. We were doing a show that was both wonderfully popular, but also about something. As for Johnson, well, he was ultimately happy with how Steel came out, despite the limitations and the challenges. And this seems to reflect Johnson's legacy of optimistic filmmaking, collaborative inclusion, and telling stories that are ultimately about something, which one could argue is better than selling a lot of toys. But what about Steel? Is it a movie about something? Are good intentions enough to make a worthwhile film? Is Shaq more capable of portraying a weapons designer who invents high-tech laser guns or making free throws? Well, there's just one way to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, baskets and balls. I give you 1997's hammer-wielding superhero extravaganza, Steel. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. This is Chad Cooper, along with my lovely, talented, insightful, and brilliant co-host, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing tonight? I am excellent, sir. Fantastic. So we have come together to talk about the motion picture, Steel. And I want to start off with a question that I don't want you to answer until we're done. Okay. And the question I have is... Is the movie Steel a superhero movie? Okay. I want us to work through this over the next 60, let's be honest, 90 to 120 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: we aim for 60. That's true. It's just never, ever happened.
1: I can tell you without question that Steel is a comic book movie, but I really want us to determine whether or not it is a superhero movie. (laughs) Okay. Didn't you see the tattoo? (laughs) I saw the tattoo. Uh, All right. Uh, (laughs) So our movie opens and we get two full minutes of stock footage filmed at a foundry with glowing orange liquid steel flowing into metal casings.
0: Can I just say the impression this movie makes? I'd never seen it before.
1: Neither had I.
0: First of all, the only way you can get it is an SD. That's always a good sign. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Don't look too close. And then i saw quincy jones's name pop up i was like huh the last time and i I was like i don't remember the last quincy jones produced film i saw was did he produce the color purple do i have that right i thought his name was on that but i know that he produced rashida jones did he really i did i had no
1: idea (laughs) yeah that's his daughter oh wow what a lovely lady (laughs) (laughs) I don't follow the news, Chad. You know what? I have an annual subscription to 23andMe, and that allows (laughs) me to pretty much tap into who came from who and what came from where.
0: Do you need more than one 23andMe? If well, you have an annual subscription, are you just sending just whoever's saliva you can get your hands on?
1: I just find gum periodically around the city and I put it in an envelope and mail it in and then they give me a password to get into the the good stuff.
0: Are you hoping secretly that the phone call you get on the back end of this is Mr. Cooper? This is Janice from 23 and me. You found the gum of a killer.
1: <laughs> you found the gum of a child, molester. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like uh, th- well done for people who get that. That's a kids in the hall <laughs> joke. All right. so after we get to see uh, what it looks like in a foundry and the movie wastes two and a half minutes of the audience's time (laughs) the movie begins proper and we're out in the woods and we see some trees being crushed beneath a tank as it rolls along, but note, these trees start falling before the tank arrives, which that's not how tanks and tree knocking over works. To put a nice flourish on the dangers of this military industrial complex, we see two doves flying off symbolizing the end of the time of peace or possibly noting that john woo is shooting a potentially better movie nearby
0: (laughs) yeah i don't like any tank that doesn't have james garner in it in my film Chad,
1: (laughs) here's the thing though in the history Uh, of cinema there have been a lot of great opening lines for films you know i when i think about it i think as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster goodfellas Mm -hmm. I think about, I believe in America. America has made my fortune. The Godfather. Citizen Kane. Rosebud. I would like to submit the movie Steel, which opens with the line of dialogue, that's enough, that's enough, my ass is on fire. (laughs) It's pretty good. I'll grant you that. What prompts this is that from golden amber grass, there is a sniper rifle emitting a red laser beam that looks a lot like Superman's heat vision. It essentially has the same Kryptonian laser-like powers because this red beam rips through the treads of this tank, you know, rendering it incapable of forward movement. And then from the same sniper rifle, we get these large fireball blasts that hit the tank and turns the metal into red hot, you know, Scalding magma, yeah, just the surfaces, and the driver uh, pops out and screams this this famous line that will I- exist in the, the the annals of cinematic history forever. Around his ass being on fire, the only thing that really supersedes that line is Charles Napier, who shows up as some sort of army colonel, and he says, "I thought I smelled some nuts roasting." <laughs> yeah which is why this movie belongs in
0: our christmas season really
1: (laughs) buckle up though this is gonna be a bumpy ride
0: look i love it when i see charles napier show up in a movie
1: what do you think of when you see charles napier granite Mostly. (laughs) Is there a movie or a TV show or anything you think of with him when you think of Charles Napier?
0: Now that I've said this, I'm totally blanking, which is crazy because I've seen him in about 400 movies over the course of my life.
1: I think of him in Rambo First Blood 2. Sure. And I also think of him as being Jay Sherman's right-hand man on the animated TV show, The Critic, because every word out of his mouth sounds like that macho, moustached, white-haired character from that failed TV sitcom. Did it fail? Wasn't it around for like... It ain't around anymore. It failed. The Simpsons is still kicking, so hey. (laughs) That's a pretty high standard. It stinks. That was its catchphrase. Oh, uh,
0: that that is a show that dared you to like it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> like everything about it was slightly off-putting. Welcome to to the show Charles Napier. I'm sure this is not the last time we will talk about him.
1: He has two more appearances in the movie. No, no, no. I meant
0: this show as a whole.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. He'll he'll show up in another film without a doubt.
0: After the the test, then we get the introduction of our hero who is of course the lovely Shaquille O'Neal as John Henry
1: Irons he will henceforth in this entire conversation have to be known as Shaq
0: yeah it's just Shaq he doesn't play a character in this movie he's just Shaq except the, like here's a here's one of the big problems with the movie that we see right now which is that Shaq is now required to say science things <laughs> and because <laughs> in theory he is the developer of this weapon system and I'm not impugning the intelligence of Shaquille O'Neal in any way he could crush me with a stare
1: he could knock you over
0: with a sneeze man he's huge he's a he's a monster of a human being (laughs) but seems like a wonderful person he seems like a nice guy but when you hear him say things like I guess we're going to have to adjust the variables. You're just like, no, I don't believe any of this. I don't believe that he is a laser scientist. I believe he's an incredible basketball player is what he looks like to me. We
1: also get to meet Sparks, who is played by Annabeth Gish, which, Bo, did you know that Annabeth Gish's grandmother was Lillian Gish? But <laughs> it's not the famous silent film actress Lillian Gish, and therefore she's not related to Dorothy Gish. and. Dorothy Gish, Lillian's sister, she was the one who visited Ned Niederlander on the set uh, of Little Nettie Grab Your Gun, where she looked in the eyes and she said, young man, you have got it. He'd never met her. He just knew her from her films. Dorothy Gish, yeah. It's a true. that's a true story. I'm so glad you did that. I didn't have the whole <laughs> thing written in my notes. I'm glad
0: that you did. <laughs> that was just for you. Oh, it's the best. The, the the best thing about
1: that movie is that line. Um Let me ask you a question. So in this introduction, you were saying that, you know, Shaq is really smart. Wink, wink. Is Sparks the smart one? You know, our female counterpart to him or are they equally smart?
0: I think this is a real equal situation. Okay. I think the the character of John Henry Irons, at least in the film.
1: I love it when movies use like technical jargon to make the movie sound smarter because Sparks says back up all of the telemetry and cross-reference the data. It's just, you know what? What I love about it is that the the movie does just enough research to look like they know what the hell they're talking about, which is kind of what you and I do on this show.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's just enough. If you and I were to direct a superhero film, I think it would look much like Steel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so when- <laughs> Shaq and, Shaq and Sparks, they make eye contact while they're talking science mumbo jumbo and they, they sort of wink at each other. And then they do this signature thing where they point their index fingers at one another and then they do a little wind up and then they touch fingertips, a la ET or mm-hmm. Da Vinci's creation of Adam. Are they buddies or maybe future lovers? Like what is going on between these two characters?
0: I think that's the journey of this film, Chad, is that we see them here when they uh, they clearly have sparks. <laughs> and over the course of the film, you see them. Gr- like, Richard Roundtree is all, but when are you two going to fuck in this movie? Hey,
1: that's not what it's like for me and her. She sparks. I'm Shaq. We're not going to fuck. We're just friends. We touch fingertips. That's as close as it's gonna get.
0: Also, I would really I would literally tear her in half. I'm afraid it's just not in the cards. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um So they decide, like, okay, well, uh, we got this other test. There's a lady senator. Senator Lady, I think her name is.
1: We got to talk about Burke, played by Judd Nelson, who, for me, most famously played John Bender, the bad boy, in The Breakfast Club. And in this movie, he's pretty much playing that exact same character where, if after high school, he just entered the military and continued his path of being a self-serving dick. I'm a big fan of Judd Nelson, obviously, Chad. From what?
0: Well, you say uh, this Breakfast Club movie. I ain't ever seen that. I'm thinking of Robin Weather's uh in From the Hip. <laughs>
1: Wasn't he on like Suddenly Susan?
0: Yes, he certainly was. He was also in, I think, Transmorphers was the last movie I saw him in.
1: Which is weird because in my memory growing up during the time that I did, because of The Breakfast Club and because of St. Elmo's Fire and apparently nothing else, he is a notable celebrity. But I was like, oh yeah, I looked at his IMDb and I was like, I don't know any of this body of work.
0: He does some <laughs> asylum films. That's where I've seen him pop up in a movie that like see Thomas Howell directed
1: (laughs) you know that sounds about right
0: yeah I believe that was the
1: day the earth stopped. A kind of version of the day the earth stood still, Chad. <laughs> in a superhero movie, you need to have a supervillain. And in our movie Steel, Burke is our villain. And in these types of movies, you need to have a character that is really over the top. And when you think of the classic supervillains, you have Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. You have Jack Nicholson as the Joker. I personally am even cool with Michael Clark Duncan in that first Daredevil movie. You know yeah be big be loud be over the top do anything in this movie burke as portrayed by judd nelson he's mostly just lingering around in the background staring blankly as though he's planning a public shooting
0: <laughs> yeah he's got a real psychopath edge to him uh you can tell that he doesn't feel real emotions um and that i, I kind of like in this performance are you
1: talking about the character or Are you talking about him as a person I don't know, Chad. <laughs> I can't tell the difference.
0: I mean, it's the same character he plays in everything, so I think that's the bit of Judd Nelson <laughs> we find in all of his performances is his malignant psychopathy.
1: So, Burke, let's go back. We're, we're going to circle back to your comment earlier. Burke tells some nameless middle-aged female senator that he's made some adjustments to the weaponry that can take it to maximum power. Her back and forth is laced with this sexual innuendo. It's like watching a college friend of yours hit on your stepmom you're just like what are you doing
0: right but you know he's just playing gigolo to kind of get a leg up you know that he's got an eye towards hey this is a senator she could do something for me
1: that was a sexy sentence you said about the leg up and the doing stuff Mm
0: -hmm. i'm a i'm a wordsmith chad (laughs) it's my gift and my curse.
1: They take this senator over to this movie set that's used for scenes requiring <laughs> a Spanish village. Nothing about this looks anywhere close to authentic.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is maybe a good time to point out that this movie looks consistently under budget. This this feels like a movie that they were like, you know what? They gave us $4 million to make this movie. I think we can do it in two. <laughs>
1: Who wants to go to Acapulco in six weeks?
0: (laughs) Right. Do you know we get to keep 5% of of the budget we don't use?
1: (laughs) They show this senator this new sonic cannon that blasts out a high-frequency wave that could, as they say, take out a whole platoon, but not kill them. And and Shaq points that out. And he says it's just going to leave them stunned, like the audience who saw this movie. The senator says to Shaq, you like that idea? Not killing them? And it's here that Shaq goes from a kneeling position beside his weapon to standing next to his fellow actors he is almost twice as tall as everyone in this scene he is gigantic
0: yeah it's amazing they don't scream when he stands (laughs) this
1: (laughs) this senator tilts her head back a full 90 degrees as to allow her to look straight up into the air to hear Shaq say yes ma'am I do (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah Then Chad Nelson is like Hey, I fucking got this. You sit down, Shaq. And goes to the sonic cannon that they're going to fire at this (laughs) Mexican village. And and Judd Nelson kind of surreptitiously is cranking up the power. And it's Shaq who sees it. He's like, what's this? Then Judd Nelson fires the thing. And it blows the ever-living shit out of everything in front of it. And somehow manages to collapse the building they're in as well. Yeah. This is the point where Shaq uses his Shaq strength. Of course, the building falls around Shaq because he's bigger than most of it. Then he has to try to rescue the others by picking up the walls, essentially. Which he does by making the same face that I think that Shaq would make on the turlet. He screams out,
1: Sparky the name of the female that he does the finger touch with uh-huh. and he runs over and he picks up this piece of concrete wall that's on top of her and he literally has the strength of, of three normal sized men because he's like 10 feet tall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the movie, just him. Yes, that's what I'm saying. As a person, yeah. It also should be noted that Shaq's character does not have any superpowers. He is just a very large, normal person that is gigantic, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's he's got more strength than you or I, certainly.
0: Put together, quite frankly.
1: It's like comparing me to my 11-year-old son. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, do I have superpowers compared to that? Mm, Maybe? right (laughs) to him you do yes yeah wait till he gets older that'll all fade away oh yeah (laughs) along with the respect
0: it all goes
1: We can see that Shaq knows how to work with new weapon technology, but I want to point out, we have not established that he is a super genius. And in fact, it's his level of smarts combined with Sparks' level of smarts that is helping to to build out these new weapons. So just when the action is heating up in the testing of this weaponry, the movie decides it's going to completely cut away to a local stage production of a few good men already in progress.
0: Yeah, uh, like the the local repertory theater doing Sorkin is all a a (laughs) treat but yeah so it's a big governmental hearing where they're talking to shack who's you know behind the senate table and all that one one presumes they got a bigger one for him
1: he is sitting next to the judge on the witness stand and he is the same height as the judge who is sitting four feet taller than him to his right
0: (laughs) right he just glances over hey how you doing (laughs) i just want a second looking uh, and say i'm happy to be here
1: <laughs> in this trial burke is the one who's being held accountable for all this mayhem because he was the one who caused it all <laughs> right he is rightfully <laughs> being prosecuted this is the system at work and Shaq's on the stand and he's like yeah it was burke he put the blastonator Tron to maximum <laughs> capacity he is so guilty.
0: Sure enough, Burke just sits there, you know, stone-faced. Uh, With his legs usual.
1: crossed, knee over knee. Mm-hmm. A la Michael Corleone. There mm-hmm. are only a handful of people that can pull that look off, and I gotta tell you, Judd Nelson as Burke is not one of them.
0: You don't think he has the gravitas? No, he does not. He
1: cannot back up the knee-over-knee knee cross-legged man look. <laughs> so, out in the hallway, speaking
0: of Burke, um... <laughs> He sees Shaq and he's like, hey man,
1: thanks for nothing. You dropped a dime on me like a little bitch. Wait, his exact words are, thanks for selling me out, brother soldier. First off, can a white soldier say that to a black soldier? Sorry, not can. The question is should. Number two, (laughs) should Burke be saying this to a man who is literally... Two feet taller than him and easily a hundred pounds heavier. It's like watching a chihuahua bark at a Great Dane.
0: I think in this particular case, I think the brother is relatively inoffensive compared to the fact that it looks like he almost throws a slur into the sentence, you stupid stupid and there's this pregnant pause as he's like obviously editing his language
1: said the white guy hosting a movie themed comedy podcast
0: <laughs> sure but <laughs> but i'm also not making a superhero movie starring judd nelson and it is one of those moments where i'm like oh was he about to say something terrible well of course he was he's the bad guy right but uh it just it made me feel bad dirty for a second and I don't want to feel that way when I'm looking at Shaq. Shaq makes me happy even though he's not a good actor he seems lovable.
1: I think that Shaq holds his own in this movie for someone who had only been in two previous films you and I sort of discussed this a little bit earlier he is not a great actor but compared to his peers in this film He holds his own. Mm, I don't know that I would go
0: that far.
1: Is Judd Nelson better than him in this movie? Yes, he is. We will agree to disagree
0: on that. (laughs) If for no other reason than the deliver on the hot dog line
1: is a work of art. He loses 10 points for Slytherin later when he tells Ray J to call him the man.
0: Yeah. There is an element of Judd Nelson in this movie of having those I'm I'm a cool guy affectations. It's like your uncle that's got a pinball table in his den. And you're like, hey, uh, this is cool and all, but how come all your food is
1: microwavable? It's just a little sad, Chad. Our next scene, Chad goes to the hospital to visit Sparks, who's all busted up with cuts on her face. So did that court trial happen in under a week? from when the Mexican village explosion incidents happen. Yeah. Because the timing of all this seems highly implausible. (laughs) It's the swift hand of justice. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Shaq gives Sparks some flowers and he sits down beside her bed where he is literally taller than the nurse attending to sparks. And the finger touch thing happens here. And he tells her that he left the military. And I guess that's something that you can just do whenever you want, which I don't think it works that way. Yeah, yeah. I just left the military. I'm not going to do that anymore. I that big actions last week. Shaq says he's going to go back home. And Spark says, I'll come and see you as soon as I'm back on my feet. And in the greatest scene in this whole movie, the nurse in the room looks at Shaq and she gently rolls her eyes and gives it the old side to side head shake. This is never happening her face simply says have you seen her legs they look like a pair of flesh colored tights filled with applesauce it is a mess down there sir (laughs) i watched this scene four times just to see this nurse go side to side like it's never gonna happen looks like two big fat pieces of beef jerky it's awful it's
0: awful the only reason we didn't cut them off is we thought the rest of her'd spill out. <laughs>
1: shaq says he's headed back home to la and so our next scene um we see shaq on a bus and we get the sounds of young mc's bus to move look it up you know the song Mm. um but we also get to see burke our beady-eyed villain he's headed to los angeles so that's juxtaposition chad that's art (laughs) fancy rich asshole he is (laughs) you know man of the
0: people versus (laughs) fancy guy
1: taking a plane shaq is back in his hometown he's walking down the street and he's just towering over everyone he looks like gandalf when he went to visit all of those dwarves <laughs> amongst
0: the hobbits could you imagine shaquille o'neal in a hobbit chad
1: yes i can you just cast shaquille o'neal as gandalf and you cast normal people as everyone else he is huge he's one of those people that you're like
0: i don't know how good a basketball player he really was You know, like, I'm not a a basketball fan. I'm not not saying he was a bad player or anything. It's just how can you help but be when you're eight and a half feet tall? And all you, all I got to do is I go to the basket and I just drop the ball right in. You know, it's, (laughs) I got to look down on a basket.
1: (laughs) It's... (laughs) In the scene when he's headed through the his old neighborhood, uh, some kids throw him a ball and he shoots it and he misses, which he's a professional basketball player in this movie, but he missed the shot. Or I thought maybe this has helped to explain why this gigantic, freakishly tall man isn't playing in the NBA because he can't make a basket, which would clearly be a more logical career path when you're 14 feet tall from the <laughs> inner city. Like it's...
0: See, I read all of that as this is a gag about the fact that Shaq's reputation was that he could not hit a free throw.
1: Not reputation. Well, the truth. It's like, yeah, he couldn't shoot a free throw. (laughs) The statistical fact
0: (laughs) was that he was shit at free throws. And then everybody fouled me. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just get them to the line. It's like, it's not dropping it down in the basket. I can't hit it.
1: We then cut and we see Burke, and he's headed into the headquarters of a company called Danatatics. Fantastic, I, I-, I thought. Dentatics, which it's hard to tell because the font choice of this company with orange and yellow block lettering is impossible to decipher.
0: Not since an Atari 2600 box cover (laughs) have I seen this font in, in public
1: use. Burke goes into this building, and it's essentially the corporate headquarters of Dave & Buster's. There's a a glass table with a receptionist in a chair, and all around her are full-size cabinet video games. I have no idea what is going on at this place of business.
0: Right, Jeff Bridges is in a corner getting zapped into a machine.
1: (laughs) Burke is escorted into the office of someone we find out. His name is Mr. Daniels. He's escorted in by a frantic executive assistant, played by some unnamed actress, who is doing everything she possibly can with her one line of dialogue she delivers it she's like "Uh, mr burke mr daniels uh, he insisted on seeing you and she's adjusting her glasses and her shirt it's just embarrassing for her Uh uh-huh it's real bad i'd like to paint a picture of this office that we enter if you don't mind
0: if i could short uh shorthand (laughs) before this description it's
1: the set of any episode of
0: la law but go on
1: When Burke goes in, we see Mr. Daniels. He's sporting this greasy, blonde, front loaded, clavicle length mullet. And he will hence be known as Big Willie because Burke calls him that in a minute. And he's like the money man of this operation. And he's got this three inch crescent moon scar on his forehead. He also has an ever present toothpick in his mouth. But in his office, there is a a black man there in the office who I'm going to refer to as number two for the rest of the movie because he's kind of his right hand man. And then there's this female heavy that looks a lot like Caitlyn Jenner. I'm not casting aspersion on this woman or actress, but that's what it reminded me of. She looks (laughs) like a a man, baby, in my opinion. She's never listening to this
0: podcast. But Caitlyn Jenner might.
1: (laughs) In this office is a full upright sized black stuffed bear. There is a jukebox. There is a miniature desktop slot machine. In the corner is some random video game cabinet. There is a ridiculous pen set sitting on his desk with very little else. The furniture in the room really (laughs) doesn't match anything else. And there is this large red white and blue glass orb sitting in a vase. This office is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) It's It's the office of
0: a madman. Like, if you had to go visit the Joker, this would be the office you went to.
1: I've never seen a stuffed bear in anyone's office other than C. Montgomery Burns. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: And if you have a giant bear, because, look, you can explain away the slot machine and the pinball and video games and all that stuff. As like, well, this guy's in entertainment. He's in uh, machines, uh, arcade machines and all that stuff, distributing that stuff. And what you can explain, though, is why the bear that would not fit in any of those machines. <laughs> was it a gift? Who was that from? I have a lot of questions about Big Willie style and what he's doing to g- garner
1: such a bear, quite frankly. Burke says to Big Willie, hey, I hear you're still selling illegal weapons. <laughs> right to everyone in the room it's like you don't know these people <laughs> and you just roll it like your opening gambit is hey you still running all those guns big willy says i distribute video games and help at-risk kids which is totally code for poor black kids right berg says how about you and i sell the next generation of super weapons and big willy says i'm listening And then Burke whips out this tiny little disc with some information that he stole when he was in the army.
0: Or it's just a CD single of Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. (laughs) One of the top 10 songs of 1997,
1: Chad. We cut back to Shaq, and he's headed home where he runs into his little brother, played by Ray J. And the two of them exchange some dialogue that is clearly written by a white guy for black people to speak out loud. Shaq goes back to his childhood home, or as everybody knows it, the house from Up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, Uh, going to visit his grandma who is whispering Mm -hmm. because she's trying to make a souffle. So she wants to open a restaurant that makes food that is a blend of French couture and like down home cooking.
1: Yeah, like soul food.
0: Soul food, which actually sounds kind of great. I was on board, even though Ray J chimes in with, she wants to call it black and bleh because Ray J is a sophisticate (laughs) and uses the French pronunciation. And, but this whole scene is gold because like him leaning down to talk to her and her like, you know, hugging his neck and stuff. You have this moment where you're like,
1: oh my God, look how big his head is. It's like you talking to a mouse. (laughs) It's like a scene from Stuart Little, man. He is crazy big. There's this great moment where she's like, hey, by the
0: way, a bunch of people have been calling for you. And he goes. Yeah, that's probably just the weapons makers. Don't worry about it.
1: And it's like, what? They're probably just a bunch of job offers. They're going to pay me a lot of money. Are you playing basketball? No, I'm making industrial gray weapons. I'm Shaq. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How long have you been making weapons? No, I'm out of that business now. You don't have to worry about it, Grandma.
1: <laughs> the grandma asked, asked Shaq if he left the army to make more money. And he says, no, ma'am, no more weapons for me. It's better for my soul.
0: <laughs> that delivery is not that far off is the thing is because I, I will say that the the grandmother in this who I can't remember the actress's name now I'll, I'll double check myself in a minute but she's I think given it her all like she's a real actress and is trying to uh, Irma Hall is her name and is doing a scene and Shaq always has this look on his face like I'm just hanging on for dear life in this scene. And that's it for the whole movie of just like, just don't let me screw this up. Just don't let me be a a ashamed to my family after this movie comes out. And I
1: think he, he every scene he just looks happy to be there. Doing mm. his best, man. Which is, I think, what was going on.
0: Maybe so, but this scene in particular was one of those where, I, as I was watching, I was like, this is just not a good performance at all. Like, he's likable. It's not that he doesn't have charisma, but he's just no kind of actor.
1: No, because he's an 18-foot-tall, <laughs> yeah. $120 million, 24-year-old basketball player.
0: When he After he says, I'm going to save my soul now, then she he's like, so what's going on with Ray J? He, he doing them videos yet? And she's like, no, they're <laughs> gangs. You know how gangs are here in the city, on the streets. And they're messing with him. And he's like, I'll take care of it. Don't you worry about it, Grandma.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> Shaq takes a job working at the local smelting plant. Right, the spark factory. He's working alongside two of the fly girls from In Living Color. Like, these two just honeys come walking by, and one of them, like, fans herself with a clipboard, like, ooh, Shaq. You know, he is
0: hot. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I, I like, Shaq's not an ugly man, but if you were a woman, wouldn't you be looking at him and just thinking, like, just if he's proportional? His dick is the size of
1: a normal person's arm.
0: Right. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to get punched in the vagina.
1: Well, you know what?
0: Maybe You know, know, every lit a pot. I'm probably (laughs) wrong about that.
1: We cut back to Dave and Buster's headquarters and Big Willie and Caitlyn Jenner get in an elevator and they head down to the basement of this building because basements and penthouses is where all of the bad guys work gets done. Everything in between (laughs) is just pushing papers (laughs) down in the basement. There are a bunch of workers and they're hiding weapons inside these video game cabinets. This really seems like a complicated distribution method for this weaponry, but... Who am I to judge? I I don't understand their business model. Big Willie and Caitlyn Jenner walk over and here we see Burke, who is now wearing a white lab coat, so he's (laughs) you know down to business. Right. (laughs) Or he's selling cosmetics. He hands some lackey, this weapon that he's created, and they're on a makeshift firing range down in the basement, and the lackey fires the gun, and it explodes in a PG-13 kind of way, so it burns up his face, and he gets hurt, but the gun performs well enough and blows up the target off in the distance, so the weapon works out. So it's like, hey, we're on the right track. We you have got the blueprints to make a super weapon.
0: But because the gun backfired and burned a dude's face, Caitlyn Jenner is like, hey, you know, I'm I'm watching you, pal. Big Willie may be impressed by the results, you know, because it actually worked. But nonetheless, you're hurting people and I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to put my foot down.
1: It's also in this scene that Burke tells Big Willie that he wants to hire some inner city kid because he has a personal score to settle. Because, Bill, I don't know about you, but I handle a lot of my personal vendettas by offering someone a job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I learned it from Sherlock Holmes, who had the, you know, Baker Street Irregulars of just get local urchins and children to do your bidding.
1: Just to get ahead of ourselves. Burke wants to hire Ray J so he can get back at at Shaq. So pay attention. (laughs) We then cut to the elevator at Dave and Buster's headquarters where Big Willie's number two, the black gentleman, and Caitlyn Jenner, and then two other middle-aged gentlemen get on the elevator ready to leave for the day. And then Burke shows up and he says, hey, number two, can you help me with something? So number two gets off the elevator, leaving Caitlyn Jenner and these two middle-aged men in the elevator. And the doors close. And then Burke hits a remote control, which causes an explosion. And the elevator cables break and the the elevator car plummets to the ground where it explodes in the basement, knocking a janitor and his cart over. I get that this is a front for gun running, but honestly, it's a legitimate front. You cannot just kill two innocent middle-aged people and there be no investigation. These two men have families. There are going to be questions. We're not on some island in the middle of the ocean at a secret lair. This is Diaconogax. or whatever this poorly chosen font says the name of this business is
0: yeah i like this move from burke though as a power play chad he's eliminating the competition and what i also like is it's clearly the right choice because big willie doesn't give a shit ever about it
1: yeah big willie falls by the wayside very quickly he just sort of chews on his toothpick until much much later in the film he doesn't really play a very important role in this movie
0: no again one of those bits of the movie where you're like well there's a thread that goes nowhere (laughs)
1: but Burke does recruit number two to be his number. Right. We begin to see that they're putting these new super weapons into some sort of a armored vehicle.
0: Yes. Big Willie is, you know, excited because it's like, Hey, the weapons are almost ready to show off.
1: We cut to Shaq and he's riding in a police car with someone known as Officer Norma. Don't worry about her. She's not going to be around very long.
0: And <laughs> right? Like, who is this
1: character? Was, it doesn't matter. I was like,
0: is she the sister? Because they seem to know each other pretty well.
1: Well, she kind of says, remember the last time we were in a car together? Yeah. Shaq's like, "Like, hey, don't talk about that. I don't need my little brother Ray J in the back getting any bright ideas because he might make a video later. Ray J, earmuffs. You know?
0: <laughs> Ray J, what'd I tell you about making videos? You said not to, Shaq. That's right. You're a good kid. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> they say that they're on some way to a town social meeting or something or another, but during this conversation, we learned that it, it's here that we learned that the real name of this Dave and Buster's headquarters is called Dantastic, which, again, I was like, how did you make that out of those letters? But Ray J says he's trying to get a job there to go legit. We then cut to a bank at night, and there's a lot of smoke in the streets for atmosphere. There's a black street cat. We see a homeless person wandering among the trash in the streets. and then You know, on- wildlife. <laughs> our armored car rolls up window goes down this cannon comes out and shoots a sonic blast kaboom into the wall there's an explosion which knocks over the homeless person which you know fuck that guy who cares about homeless people <laughs> right next are bad guys from the armored car they pull out a laser gun like the one we saw at the beginning of the movie and they cut into the walls of the bank safe and they get in here and at this point the movie starts to feel like a super superhero movie. We've got henchmen, bad guys, their crazy weapons, we're robbing a bank. Remember, Bo, this is a superhero movie, right?
0: Mm. i mean it yes it has all the trappings of that uh, thus far
1: absent a superhero
0: right still no superhero but you know <laughs> we'll get to that in another i don't know 40 minutes
1: there's a call that comes in over the police radio and officer norma with her two citizens shack and ray j she's like hey we'll go and we'll take care of it because of course you will they get there and the henchmen are firing these non-lethal weapons Um, at a couple other cops that are already on the scenes. And right when they stop, Shaq just jumps out of the car to go help. Like, what is his plan? Because then Ray J jumps out of the car and he takes off to go help as well. Same question. What's he going to do? Only the same thing, but shorter? (laughs)
0: Right. Stay in the car. You don't have Shaq's strength.
1: Like, let's not
0: sell it short either. There's a straight up laser battle happening when they turn the corner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where, you know, like dudes are shooting laser guns at the police. Officer Norma's is still in her car all by herself. Yeah. And then the henchman blasts her car with the sonic cannon. And they flips it topsy-turvy upside down. And it turns out that number two is driving the armored car. And he starts to get away. And then here we get to meet a new character. And I refer to him as Patch. Is that what you called him? Yes. Did you call him yes.
0: I called him Patch. <laughs>
1: I'm so happy because that's not his real name. But Patch has an eye patch and he's one of the hired henchmen. And he's also got a lot of gold teeth in his mouth and other distinguishing marks that I will describe later. Patch tells number two, like, hey, we left one of our henchmen behind. And then at this point, Shaq pulls Officer Norma out of the police car before it inevitably explodes. And then Shaq looks up and he sees the left behind henchman exiting the bank. And he says, it's all now. I'm going to get that guy. I'm Shaq.
0: (laughs) The best moment in the movie thus
1: far for me was
0: that as soon as he looked at the camera and said, it's on. I was like, oh shit, this is going to be awful.
1: (laughs) Shaq chases this henchman and one of Shaq's steps equals four Four of a normal person's steps. Yeah, he is
0: literally able to leap over (laughs) tall buildings in a single bound. Because he is like eye level with the 40th floor.
1: The henchman uses his hands and his feet to scramble up to the top of a wall at the end of this alleyway to get away. And then Shaq gently steps over the same wall, careful not to dirty his pant cuffs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this this is so close to just being a kaiju movie. You know, like where is Mothra?
1: <laughs> the henchman weasels his way through a small gap in a chain leak fence. And then Shaq walks over and just rips the door off this fence. Like Herman Munster entering the main entrance of an employment office where he's taking Maryland to find a job. I mean, it is a. <laughs> <crunk>.
0: <laughs> yeah. My, my note was actually like this whole scene is like a Brontosaurus chasing a ferret. <laughs>
1: the henchman runs through a train yard where he punches some yard worker in the face knocking him unconscious where his head lays on the train tracks as a car slowly rolls down the tracks and then shaq jumps in and saves that guy from getting his head squashed remember it's a pg-13 movie and it's you know supposed to be a superhero movie so he's got to do something heroic shaq chases the uh, henchman through the train yard and through some questionably suspenseful moments we (laughs) see shaq and the henchman almost get squashed a time or two honestly why doesn't shaq just peek over the top of the train cars or call out fee-fi-fo-fum to really scare this dude into submission just pick him up and shake it till he falls out you know
0: (laughs) hey little man are you in the engine are you in the caboose
1: did Shaq do all of his own stunts in this movie or did they get two stuntmen like with one sitting on the other's shoulders to pull out some of this fancy train dodging we see here you
0: could tell it's really him because there's nothing athletic about it (laughs) (laughs) you know he just he's too lumbering to be a good action star he's just too big it's like if you just put a couple of hinges on a pair of two by fours and that's what you got
1: moving It's like when Andre the Giant fought Carrie Carrie Elways in The Princess Bride, when they did hand to hand combat, and just Andre the Giant was just hobbling from one foot to the other. (laughs) Like, you're not going anywhere fast. You're huge. Yeah. Your heart won't let you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. He's just a monster.
0: And. (laughs) then uh but he's still always just behind him like
1: every time the camera
0: cuts to shag i'm right here i'm like a bad dream i'll haunt Uh, you
1: hold on let me take three steps and i'll catch up to you i know you're a half a mile away but i'm gonna be there so (laughs) shaq catches this henchman who's this young kid he sees that he has this gun that blasts out the sonic waves that were similar to the ones that he had created in the military supposedly and this kid says yo yo why are you fronting or some other dialogue that a white guy wrote for him to say
0: <laughs> so bad. patches is the worst but this is pretty bad
1: <laughs> then Shaq gets shot in the back by patches who at this point we see has an octopus tattoo on his head or maybe it's a tarantula all i'm saying is that this guy's easy to pick out of a lineup he's got mm-hmm. a lot of distinguishing physical characteristics
0: so Shaq calls charles napier and is like mm-hmm. hey I saw all my weapons on the street last night. What are they doing there? Well, who have you been giving my weapons to? And- Listen
1: up here, Shaq. I haven't been giving your weapons to anybody. I have a question for you. Have you ever met my nephew? He's an actor, too. He's been in Return of Swamp Thing.
0: I never saw that movie. I heard it was real good.
1: Uh, nobody saw it, Shaq. Anyway, back to this film.
0: I was up for the role of Swamp Thing <laughs> when... <laughs> When I accidentally fell down in the yard and somebody saw some moss on me, they said, Hey, Shaq, you won't be the swamp thing. And I said, No, I'd rather be the sweet thing. And then I grinned and I it turns out I have 45 extra teeth.
1: Shaq is on the phone talking to Charles and Napier and the receiver in his hand looks like he's holding a broken coffee mug handle.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like a,
1: a dollhouse phone. It's almost like he has to move the receiver down to his mouth to talk and then physically shift it up to his ear to hear someone speak to him.
0: (laughs) Right. Like he ends every line with, over. (laughs) 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 you gotta get my weapons off the street over
1: in the conversation shack tells colonel napier that he should uh get his head out of his own ass which is pretty awesome
0: yeah because this is a very tame kind of family oriented movie which i kind of like about it just about the worst they ever say in this movie is a couple of asses here and there.
1: it's fantastic in its family friendly nature it's almost like watching macgyver in a way you know or like the a team because even in it there are no no lethal weapons. You never see any blood. No one really gets hurt or blown up. It's very, it's very PG for a PG thirteen movie.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure actually what the thirteen is. I don't, I can't think of anybody dropping an F bomb. Maybe it's the implied racial slur from Judd Nelson earlier. But after his initial run in with with the gang, Shaq is trying to get some information on him,
1: and he goes to Ray J and says, "Hey, Ray J." Could you stick your head out of the second story window? I need to have a a man-to-man talk with you. So Ray J pops out of the second story. And Shaq bends over (laughs) to talk to his little brother face-to-face.
0: Hey, Ray J, if I had a tail, you could slide down my back. (laughs) Like, Fred, (laughs) Fred. Shit. Hold on, I'll have to do the whole thing again. Sorry, (laughs) it still makes me laugh. Uh Uh-huh.
1: I'm leaving hey, all hey, this Ray- in, by the way. You think I'm going <laughs> to edit it out, but I'm not. Go go ahead, do it again.
0: <laughs> hey Ray J, you can climb out that window and slide down my back like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> I don't even know if it was worth it. I don't. I really don't.
1: Ray J tells Jack, uh, <clears throat> "Hey, uh, Patches, and all of his." Hooligan friends, they're down at Benny's pool hall.
0: If I might, Ray J's description of them are they're buck wild, <laughs> 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 which is another point in the movie where I almost stood up and cheered. <laughs> I love bad dialogue. <laughs> Those boys in purple are buck wild, Shaq. It's like the, the bizarro Tarantino wrote this film. <laughs> right. The one who didn't have an ear for <laughs> any sort of dialect. Yeah. The use of the word fly in this movie is excessive.
1: <laughs> Shaq goes into Biddy's pool hall and then Patch calls him the Jolly Black Giant. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Which, it's like, that's like a little, it was about time somebody said it. Uh. Shaq wants to know, hey. Where are all these weapons coming from? And then Patch gives Shaq the middle finger. And then Shaq gets physical with one of the gang members. And then everybody in the room pulls an assortment of guns, knives, brass knuckles, black jacks. <laughs> Nooses. Socks filled with nickels. <laughs> it's just like every weapon imaginable. And then Shaq's like, hey, I get the point. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on you just like you're going to be keeping an eye on me. <laughs> I made a joke. You got a patch on your eye. You only got one eye to see me. I'm Shaq. When I leave every building, I have to bend over so I don't bump my head. I am gigantic and
0: huge. By the way, you have a warehouse store, maybe a place you take deliveries. That's a much better place for from shack to leave.
1: <laughs> before Shaq leaves he breaks Patch's pool cue and it's just like a toothpick in his hand it just snaps <laughs> yeah, he does it one handed that's how you know how big he is which means Patches had to really be holding onto that pool cue to make that happen I mean the physics of it it's all about leverage Patches then calls up number two and he says he's like yo 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 you're not gonna believe Shaq just showed up yo yo which it's just his dialogue is awful in this. Yeah. And um, Burke gets on the call and he says, hey, guys, stay the course. But after they hang up, Burke tells number two, hey, you need to get rid of that idiot henchman Cutter, which was the one that was running through the train yard to make an example because Cutter's a dum <laughs> Now,
0: Now it's time. To get emotional, Chad. Because every good superhero needs the uh, the emotional core.
1: Please take it away.
0: So Shaq finds out that Sparks has been transferred from her fancy hospital with the nurse that's like, Mm-mm. Instead, he has to go to a depressing VA hospital in St. Louis. And does. Goes all the way to St. Louis. And meets up with Sparks, who is just staring out a window like De Niro from Awakenings. <laughs> and he's like, Hey, how come you look so down? And she's like, I'm never going to walk again. He's like, yeah, that's what the nurse told me a long time ago. <laughs> and, and she's like, well, I'm a piece of shit. I'm never going to be anything. I'm useless to everyone. He's like, that's stupid. You got lots to give. You come with Shaq.
1: He asks her, what are you going to do? Stay here and look at all these filthy windows. And then he busts open the windows, which scares the shit out of everyone in this VA hospital. Because I don't think these windows were supposed to open at all. He just blasts them open. And Sparks is like, I I can't. So Shaq just picks up Sparks in her wheelchair and carries her out of the VA hospital. And everyone starts applauding like it's <laughs> the end of Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah, why are people high-fiving? A kidnapping that's unfolding
0: right in front of them.
1: This is amazing. That giant black man just stole that woman in the wheelchair. She was a white woman, too. Not that that's important. I think it's important.
0: (laughs) They they were all snapping pictures. They're they're high-fiving because they got, you know, pictures of Bigfoot that they can sell. Like a a Sasquatch broke into the VA and stole a bride.
1: (laughs) And then we're back in Los Angeles. Why was Sparks in St. Louis? I, Why did we travel from Los Angeles t- to the middle of the United States and back again in the matter of about four minutes?
0: It adds scope to the movie. Everybody knows that. That's just screenwriter 101. <laughs> that, that comes straight from Shaq. Yeah, I don't know. It's dub. Like, we go to the St. Louis, go to this vehicle. It's not like we do. Lo- you don't even see the fucking arch, you know? It's just <laughs> <laughs> a building in St. Louis. Yeah.
1: That Shaq goes to and then goes home. Shaq wheel (laughs) sparks into this junkyard where the first thing he shows her is that he made her a wheelchair accessible toilet. Shaq's just like, hey, check this out. I made a place for you to go poo-poo and pee-pee in your wheelchair. (laughs) And and then he says, and then there's another place for you to go poo-poo and pee-pee at Uncle Joe's place. You know Uncle Joe, right? Wait, you haven't met him? No, no one has. We don't even know what a Uncle Joe is. He sounds nice, but I don't know.
0: I never mentioned him when I was talking to Grandma. That, that seems like that would have been a good opportunity. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's just uh, Uncle Joe. Oh, yeah, it, it turns out halfway through shooting, we, we got Richard Roundtree. And uh, so here he is. Here's Uncle
1: Joe. I would have preferred Garrett Morris in this role, but that's just my personal taste. Not to say Richard Roundtree is bad. I'm just more of a Morris man.
0: Yeah, I think Richard Roundtree is having fun in this, at least. And, and I, I agree. I mean, Garrett Morris every day of the week. I mean, I'm as big a fan of the stuff as anyone, But <laughs> where he plays a cookie magnate.
1: <laughs> and Shaq <laughs> Sparks, hey, listen, we're going to make weapons to counter the ones in the street. Why don't you put out your index finger and we'll touch them together. But then Sparks leaves him hanging and she was like, yeah, well, we're going to need more stuff to make this happen. Uncle Joe says, look here, sweetheart. Why don't you make a list of all the things that you need? Because a lot of stuff falls off the back of a truck.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, because she finds a computer and she's like, oh, my God, this is an IBM 586. And everybody's like, (sighs) (laughs) you mean less than the old flip phone i had (laughs) and she's like where'd you get this you know and that's where richard roundtree originally says you know uh, every now and again something falls off a truck but there's also this moment when they're talking about sparks getting the gang back together and they're going to start building shit that this is the first time that uncle joe is like
1: so you guys gonna do it and Shaq's like no no you don't understand uh her dad is dead and her mom is a drunk She goes into rehab a whole lot, and is she all alone? And Uncle Joe's like, well, is she really alone? So are you guys boyfriend-girlfriend? Are you brother-sister? What is going on here?
0: Right, Uncle Joe's like, like, let me just put it to you this way. If I made a move on the woman who's going to be living with me unexpectedly, is that a problem for you?
1: Which he does later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't he?
0: I mean, if you could have a relationship just drop into your lap like that, where you're just like, eh, she's pretty. Let's see where this goes. You know? I'm an old man. I'm single. I need somebody to do the dishes.
1: We cut to Ray J at the Dave and Buster's headquarters, where he finally meets Burke, and Burke tells Ray J to call him the man. (laughs) Why would any young black kid be comfortable with addressing an older white guy as the man? They wouldn't, Chad. And
0: only only a white screenwriter is going to make that mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Just call me Mr. How about that? Can you call me Mr. Martin? Mr.
1: Mr. or Master. Whichever. Whatever you're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to push you one way or the other on that one. Just whichever one you like.
1: Back at the junkyard, Sparks uh, falls out of
0: her wheelchair. Yeah. Oh, and Uncle Joe's like, oh my God, we've got to help that poor lady. And Shag's like, no, let's see how this plays out.
1: You can't help everybody. All the time. She's got to learn to do things for herself. And then Sparks painfully drags herself back into her chair. And it's presented as a moment of self-reliance.
0: Yeah, self-empowerment. Like following the accident. Now she's she's able to, to take control of her life again to combat this helplessness that she's felt. But it just
1: seems mean. Oh, help! I'm on fire! Someone help! Hold on. Just let it go. They can probably figure out how to put themselves out. They've heard stop, drop, and roll. We all know that. You yeah. can't help everybody all the time. Help them to help themselves. She's like gripping the
0: edge of the chair and it's just like,
1: ah! <laughs> <laughs> Hang it on. hurts so much to pull myself back into my chair. There's supposed to be no feeling, but I can feel
0: everything. Hang on. Don't help her. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> if only someone with earshot could help me.
1: Make it stop! This scene could only be better if day had turned to night. <laughs>
0: I don't think she's talking to us.
1: And then she's finally in her chair and she's just covered in piss and shit. <laughs> <laughs> And then Shaq's like, it looks like you need a shower uh, to turn the faucet on. It's way up here. Shaq level.
0: Killed and eaten a rat if you're that hungry just get back in the chair
1: our next scene we see Shaq and he's pounding some metal with a hammer and we get to see his real life tattoo on his arm that says man of steel and has the superman s sparks come over and she finally agrees to touch fingertips with him and then Ray J shows up as a distraction and Shaq tosses a rag in the air towards a trash can and he misses now for the second time in the movie and he says I never could make free throws (laughs) wink wink I'm Shaq. <laughs> yeah, and then
0: like Shaq gives. Uh, there's a moment where like Sparks and and Uncle Joe uh, are huddled around. Everybody's having a good time, and uh, he's like, "Hey, before we kick this thing off, if anybody wants out, you can back out right now." They're like, "No, we're in." He's like, "I'm serious. It's gonna get real dangerous." <laughs> They're like, "No, it's cool. We're we're in. We're in, Shaq." All right, you've been you've been duly warned by Shaq then that's where richard roundtree is uh makes the shaft reference in this where he's always like the shaft of the hammer
1: you get a nice montage of Shaq you know smashing metal and there's some gospel music playing and there's a lot of hammering mixed with computer science and Sparks is working on something and they talk a little bit about his name being John Henry we haven't really talked about that because he's basically Shaq so the intro kind of connects all that together yeah he gets this hammer that Sparks makes but it's a really a gun so why would you make it look like a hammer that just seems to be a design flaw
0: you're just pushing the theme too hard there it's like he's He's never going to use this as a hammer, really. It's just going to be his sonic gun most of the time.
1: Right. Just make it a gun. I, I don't. It's a fun question, Chad. I ain't got all the answers to <laughs> steel. And then at the end, Chad goes, all right, it's time to make the final piece. It's going to be my helmet to fit over of my great big head. And then Uncle Joe says, I'll be damned. You've turned yourself into the man of steel. And you're like, I, I, we got it.
0: Yeah. He's steel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the closest connection probably to the comic origin though, of like, this is the Man of Steel.
1: We cut to an elderly white couple dressed in formal wear on their way to the opera, I'm guessing, and they get mugged as elderly white people dressed in formal wear on their way to the opera, I'm guessing, are likely to do in superhero movies. The mugger gets away and we see Shaq for the first time fully dressed as Steel. Yeah, and he looks like an unholy union of the Tick and the Tin Man. There is a movie that Mark
0: Hamill was in actually called The Giver that had a suit that is similar to this, mm-hmm. except it was better. It I think this suit looks awful uh it is it's it's real dumb and and one of the biggest failings for me in this movie is that all the you know in quote superhero stuff will still answer that question later i think is all bad i don't think any of it it's something we you know we had talked about this uh off the air uh originally but because uh kenneth johnson was a television director it informs much of his visual style. And so the action sequences in this movie, the stuff that should be like the big centerpieces of your film, they all feel like television show action scenes. Right. And, and they're incredibly lifeless. There's nothing really clever or inventive or even exciting about them,
1: which is a problem. Well, even in this scene, Shaq grabs the mugger and then bolts him to a utility pole using his 1990s era plaid shirt as the hanging point. And then he basically just says, Hey, man, knock it off. Quit robbing old white people dressed in formal wear on their way to the opera. I presume. Leave them alone. Okay. And the guy's like, yeah, man, yeah, you know, and Shaq's superhero costume has a bolt shooting gun. Is that a thing? He never uses it again. I I don't. There's
0: a whole lot of, well, the, the suit does this now because the script needs it to do the the thing now.
1: It's like he's Inspector Gadget. (laughs) It is. You know what I mean? Like an umbrella might shoot out of his ass or he might have roller skates on his feet. Particularly when he starts doing all this magic shit with his hammer (laughs) where it just
0: like, oh, I turn it this way. And it, it's a scrub brush like at the car wash. I turn it this way and it's a sonic cannon. All that stuff is just nonsense. And the the, the mask in particular that he's wearing, like this headpiece, just looks so stupid. And maybe it's because you're trying to cover a head that's the size of a small planetoid. <laughs>
1: Shaq lumbers back over to this elderly white couple, and they're trying to call nine one one. And then the man says, "I can't believe it! It's a recording." Which no, it's not. That's not how nine one one works. And then Shaq shows up, and he's like, "Hey, here are all your belongings. I got them back for that mugger." And surprisingly, these old white people are not doubly terrified by a giant costume black man. I like to that he he
0: apologizes. You, I, I just want to apologize on behalf of the city of Los Angeles. We're not like this. We're good people. I'm Shaq. No, wait. I'm not. I'm Steel.
1: <laughs> then he triumphantly exits the scene by riding backwards up a nearby escalator. <laughs> yes!
0: <laughs> yeah, right, because he was probably tuckered out, you know? Like, he's 15 feet tall. Even if this is all just molded latex, it's still heavy. And he's already, you know, a ton because of his size. <laughs> I'll tell you what, how about I just back up onto a moving stair?
1: We forgot to mention that Shaq has an earpiece that lets him talk to Sparks. And he also has video cameras in his costume that lets her see what he's up to so she's monitoring him back at the junkyard in this scene he's he's talking it up with like hey sparks i just saved some white people did you see that that was pretty amazing (laughs) and then there's like this homeless guy who's drinking from a brown bag bottle of hooch and he gives it the classic hollywood like what is in this bottle that's
0: making me see that you know if i may let me read directly from my notes a bum on the bench does a good old-fashioned what's-in-this-bottle look
1: <laughs> <laughs> the classics <laughs> we then cut to a, a gang fight where shack is just in the middle of all this and there's a gang shooting at shack with submachine guns and the bullets are bouncing all off of Shaq's body including his dick but they don't hit his face or his neck, which is completely exposed. He has a very serious vulnerability in his armored costume.
0: Right. The The most sensitive part of the human body is <laughs> largely exposed here, which is the, you know, face and neck area where, like, say, if that were shot, probably resulted in a pretty rough
1: day. These gang members drive their El Camino right at Shaq, who takes his magical hammer and then turns it into a sonic blaster and it stops the carnage tracks but ejects the gang members through the windshield i'm guessing they would be dead at this point but they're not
0: this movie has the good sense to give shack one-liners when shit like this happens because as soon as these you know two poor fools come flying through their windshield thanks to his sonic gadget hammer he's like you should have worn your seatbelts that's just a safety <laughs> tip from your pal shack no way steal and- <laughs> And then Sparks is like, hey, Shaq, 5-0. And
1: he's like, oh, I got to get out of here. And then he switches his hammer. He flips the red switch and then he becomes a giant magnet, which attracts everybody's gun and their knives. A trash can lid comes flying out of somewhere and bangs him on the ass. <laughs> and then all the gang members pretty much run off, um, except for two gang members that are still around and they have wood planks in their hands. And Sparks sees them sneaking up on Shaq through the video cameras. And she's like, you got two behind you, baby. Which was like, baby, what, what's going on with you two? I need to know.
0: Hang on, why did you say, baby? Have we taken a turn in our relationship? This is something we should talk about when I get back to our junkyard lair. I'm, I'm Shaq. I mean, still.
1: <laughs> Shaq beats up these two remaining gang members. And then the cops show up. And we get a real poor man's Sergeant Al Powell. Um <laughs> yeah. He tells Shaq, he says, hey, hands up, Lancelot, because he looks like a knight in shining armor. And then Shaq puts his hands up in the air and a grappling hook fires out of his body somewhere and connects to a concrete ledge high in the air. And then the grappling hook very, very (laughs) slowly pulls Shaq up into the air to make a lethargic getaway.
0: Yeah, it's the best. It is... i mean (laughs) what are you gonna do you're trying to lift a great white shark you know
1: it's so great because it's like clink
0: that shot of him like going bottom to top of frame takes a hilariously long time
1: (laughs) so the cops don't shoot him because they would have but they don't (laughs)
0: they're just like where does he get these wonderful toys oh wait they're not that wonderful look how slow that is
1: 45 minutes later shack makes his way to the top of the building i
0: sure hope nobody try to climb this <laughs>
1: He he makes his getaway and he's uh, running down the side of the building and then he lowers himself down using the same grappling hook, but the cable snaps and he lands in a trash dumpster. And so the cops are closing in on Shaq, but he pops out of the dumpster and then hops on a motorcycle that he stashed there earlier in the day. Is that what happened? I guess. <laughs>
0: the the steel cycle because it's not the only time we see it you know like it's his modus operandi yeah it's just like okay i guess he's got a motorcycle now whatever i had it in my back pocket it literally fit in my back pocket (laughs)
1: he gets on the motorcycle and it looks like when a clown rides one of those (laughs) tiny bicycles at the circus
0: like your knees are in your ears it's like seeing the like (laughs) one of the two fattest twins in the world that are on the moped the little tiny one. (laughs) Where you're just like, oh my god, he should, he would do better just <laughs> p- picking the motorcycle up and running.
1: <laughs> the cops give chase of Shaq on this tiny, tiny motorcycle.
0: <laughs> and, oh, Sparks chimes in now to deliver one of the gro- groaniest lines of this movie. Where he's like, hey, what about all these traffic lights, Sparks? You're supposed to green them up for me. This is Shaq. I'm steal. And she's like, hey... It ain't easy being green. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I don't even think that applies in this scenario.
1: (laughs) You're just saying it because the word green is in the sentence. Shaq is making his way back to the junkyard. And on the way, he passes Ray J and Grandma. They're eating ice cream. And they see this giant black man (laughs) riding the world's tiniest motorcycle in their neighborhood. And both of them are just like, hey, that's clearly Shaq. Like, who else could it possibly be? Hey, is that my grandson? The...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the walking wildebeest? Shaq enters the junkyard as a police helicopter is chasing him overhead. And he whips his way into this... A secret junk pile that Sparks has concocted with a magical door that opens for Shaq to enter. And inside are all of her computers and science doodads. And then when the helicopters fly over, all they see is a big pile of junk. Sparks is inside she's eating Twizzlers, which as we've noted, this knocks her down a notch or two in my book. Sure. Shaq tells Sparks, I don't know what I'd do without you. And then they touch fingers. And I think it's here that they're in love.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they worked as a successful team. You know, she she
1: truly had his back. Love and marriage. Love and marriage. Goes together like a horse and carriage. Do you understand what I'm saying to your sparks?
0: Oh, and why not have another gag about him missing a free throw here? You know, <laughs> I don't I don't know if people got the joke the first couple of times. Maybe we should bring that back. That happens.
1: We also haven't noted that at the junkyard there is a beautiful golden retriever named Lily, Th- the worst name and breed for a junkyard dog ever. And
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's an Irish setter. <laughs> you know that old junkyard dog trope.
1: <laughs> it took t- it took top honors <laughs> at Westminster last year, but right. don't mind her.
0: Yeah, it's a, <laughs> a, a puka doodle. It's got over large
1: eyes. You have to put drops in. <laughs> we cut back to Dave and Buster's HQ and Burke is here uh, with Ray J and he asked Ray J if he's ever, if he's seen the man of steel and Ray J is like, yeah, yeah, I did. And he's a brother, which that means black because a white guy wrote this and he's like, hey, and he's from my neighborhood. So uh, Burke is like, yeah, yeah, I think this is Shaq clearly on the news we see the elderly couple that got mugged and they're talking about this you know seven foot african-american man who is as they put it as big as a mountain and covered in steel and they say the, the woman says he returned all my belongings and he was extremely polite they really seem surprised by the words coming out of their own mouth.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, he was one of the good ones. We met one of the good ones, <laughs> Helen. It's so inadvertently racist. I know it may sound like we're being oversensitive about this, but it's, it, <laughs> it's not. It, when you're watching this movie, it's the only <laughs> thing you can think. <laughs>
1: Shaq's grandmother is watching the news report, and she's looking up, and she hears all of this, and and she's like, like, did they just say seven foot giant African American man from my neighborhood? You know, just stop.
0: That doesn't seal the deal, though. It's like, oh, he was really polite, and she's like, hmm, polite giant that's my baby (laughs) yeah where do i know that from (laughs) and all right so now we get to my favorite moment in the entire film (laughs) which is a scene where burke and patch are meeting and chad i'll be honest with you i don't know what happens in this scene i don't know what what is moved forward in the plot i mean something about the weapons (laughs) and whatnot doesn't matter what matters is that patch is like hey uh like judd nelson offers him a hot dog and he's like i don't eat hot dogs man he's like no take a, take a bite and he's like no i don't I, I don't like pork and he's like no this is a turkey dog patch's response this is where i started to like really perk up is so when he goes no this is turkey and he goes word
1: <laughs> does he not eat pork because of like the 1990s Louis Farrakhan kind of thing. Is that what's going on here? Like, is this a, like, are we connecting the dots of his religious affiliation and him being this black militant 'er ne'er-do-well? I I
0: do know a guy who just doesn't eat pork. Quizzed him about this. And it's not for any kind of religious reason or anything like that. He's just like, no, I think, you know, it's sort of that, you know, pig's a filthy animal kind of rationale.
1: He doesn't dine on swine.
0: Does not dine on swine, no.
1: I knew a guy who refused to watch movies about submarines really
0: yeah what it, d- was his father killed in a submarine like what led him to this path
1: no i'll tell you who it was it was <laughs> he wouldn't watch submarine movies it was he claustrophobic no i don't know man it was weird i asked him because i was just like hey have you seen like hunt for red october he's like no no, no i don't watch submarine movies k-19 the Widowmaker, anything nope mm-mm. huh Twenty thousand? nope <laughs> A weird hill to plant a flag on. Do you ever go to Subway to eat sandwiches? (laughs) What the fuck do you think? Hell no. (laughs) I don't know, man. I
0: I don't even use a periscope. I didn't even use that app. (laughs) It was submarine adjacent.
1: (laughs) Patch ends up eating the hot dog because he says it's made of turkey. Right. So gobble, gobble, gobble. And it
0: ends, I forgot my favorite scene. So it ends with Burke saying, remember... Eat the hot dog. Don't be one. (laughs) It's so stupid. It's the best. Like, this was the most glorious. This was the point where I was like, "Uh, uh, this was totally worth it.
1: We cut to Uncle Joe and Shaq and they're driving around in this large service van at night and uh, they got the golden retriever Lily with them. And again, so, you know, we also know that Uncle Joe and others are likable people because they have a a dog appropriate for use in a food commercial next to them. (laughs) It's been five nights and there's been no sign of the super weapons on the street. And Sparky is back at the junkyard making weapon upgrades to her wheelchair. Out on the street, we see number two and he goes down into the sewer and he puts some sort of bomb device on some sort of other device. And then he comes back topside, patches now the wheelman of the armored car, which he rolls over the manhole cover and then a bomb goes off and there's a power outage and it jams all the radio frequencies for the police and other emergency services
0: it turns out this is a good old-fashioned bank robbery but sparks gets wind of it and like radios into shack and is like hey there's a disturbance in the force at uh you know fifth and whatever and so shack is like i'm on it and then uh that that's where uh our our villains decide that they're gonna break into the federal reserve and they're using like the sonic gun again it's the same old one-two punch we've been seeing the whole movie you hit them with the sonic gun then you use the laser to open up the door and then and they go shack then finally catches up to him and we get one of our action scenes in the movie (laughs) <laughs> where he just kind of shoots tear gas at him, And they're like shooting guns, which uh, bounce off. It, it's weird that in a couple of times in this movie that you see those sparks come off his dick. When you mentioned that earlier, I was like, yeah, that happens a couple of times. And it's weird. Both times. It's like, why even do that? You know, if you're not going to shoot him in the face, don't shoot him in the dick.
1: It's a real non-lethal weapon shootout between Shaq and the bad guys. And then Shaq's gun or his outfit Fires off some tear gas because that's a thing that he has now. And then the bad guys out of the armored car, they blast Shaq with the sonic gun and just knocks him into a dumpster. And then once again, our poor man's Al Pal shows up and he's the first one on the scene. He's like, Shaq, put your hands down. Because the last time he put him up, he very slowly escaped up into the air and he didn't want him to fly away again.
0: Right. I don't want to watch that again. It made me sad. (laughs)
1: and it took so much of my day to see you slowly slowly escape up into the air
0: yeah if you hadn't somehow against all odds jumped across a roof
1: i lost 30 dollars on a bet that you were gonna fall
0: and then i heard you fell on the other side of the building
1: so i went back and i took 60 (laughs) during this scene uh patches pops out of the armored car and he fires one of his non-lethal weapons up in the air at a police helicopter that's up above and it explodes and then the police helicopter much like Shaq slowly falls to the ground and it's gonna squash poor man's Al pal. but Shaq runs over and saves poor man's Al pal pushes him out of the way, but during this, Shaq gets a cut on his chin, and poor man's Al Pal sees that Shaq has a cut on his face, um, but he sees that poor man's Al Pal is okay, and this all comes into play a little bit later, the cut and the save. Yeah. So then Shaq uh, reaches in his pocket and pulls out his motorcycle again, <laughs> and decides yeah. to, to zip away. Also, here, the license plate on Shaq's motorcycle says, Steal. I couldn't decide if that's better or worse than when the bandit had a license plate that said (laughs) ban one.
0: I think Steel is kind of fine here. That's his nom de crime fighting, you know? (laughs) Bandit was trying to keep a low profile. You know, Steel is not necessarily courting fame, but he's also, you know, he wants to be a symbol in the community. Bandit (laughs) just wanted to be drunk and harass women.
1: Nobody sees Shaq getting away on this motorcycle and thinks, who was that? what did the license plate say
0: did it say shack because it should (laughs) that would
1: have been better
0: that would have been dead on if you asked me because that's who was on that motorcycle
1: shack gets away on his tiny tiny motorcycle and the cops are chasing him and he releases these ninja jacks that are like pointy little triangular doodads that pop the tires of the cops that are chasing him. Caltrips, they're called. Where did you learn that?
0: Diablo 3.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shaq, during his escape, he pulls his hammer off of his back and he mounts it to the handlebars of the motorcycle. And then he turns it sideways and he blasts the red laser beam that we've seen used throughout this film at a water truck, which sprays water onto the street, causing a motorcycle cop to crash. I just was like, does his gun have all of the exact same technology that the bad guy's weapons have? And when did this happen? How would we know this?
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't know. When did they get their Spy Hunter truck? That's another good question.
1: <laughs> right? He pulls up behind Uncle Joe's truck and there's the ramp. It's, it's total Spy Hunter.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I was stunned that like a fancy Rolls Royce with like Spy Benny blade tires didn't roll up beside him and you know
1: at this point in the movie Burke has said we're going to announce our weaponry to the whole world so they distribute video footage of their mayhem and in the film we now have skinhead nazis showing up maybe french nationalists there are spanish drug runners everybody wants a piece of these new weapons
0: can can i tell you my second favorite thing in this movie that happens (laughs) during this montage of villains just watching the news like it's the home shopping network (laughs) I, i love anyway i love the whole thing in principle of just like you know every terrorist in the world is like huh where can we get our hands on that it's the skinheads. Right. Where they're like, how do we get that? It's like, the internet, you, you don't just get pornography from it.
1: <laughs> this was in 1997.
0: <laughs> yeah, this was early enough that even then, it just tells you what a shitty people we are as a species. <laughs> that as soon as the internet was invented, it was like, oh, don't go on there. <laughs> nothing but awful porn
1: we're back at the junk cave and <laughs> sparks is doctoring up shack and uncle joe starts going on about the real john henry and how he died and spark says you know shack you've got a broken rib which how do you know that are you a doctor is it sticking out of his stomach right also don't worry about it don't come up again
0: you know there's one time in the movie where she's like oh that must hurt you very much it's a weird line and it's a weird delivery of it she's just like you should probably sleep
1: well at this point Shaq says hey I think that Burke remember that guy who we were in the army with I think he's wrapped up in this I have no evidence and I have not seen him for about six to nine months but I think he's behind all of this.
0: There is a shot of him standing in the doorway, pointing and smiling at her. That is one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> and it's supposed to be this, you know, warm expression. But it's just because he's a monster. He's like a, It's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex crammed into a house, grinning at you like a goat.
1: Burke calls the cops and tells them where they can find the weapons that shot down the helicopter. And it's at Shaq's grandma's house. And that they'll know which one it is because it'll have 10,000 brightly colored balloons popping out of the top of it. Shaq shows up at Aunt May's, I mean, grandma's house. And the two of them whisper about how there's a black man in the neighborhood trying to clean things up. I don't know who that is, grandma. It's definitely not me. I know you're making a souffle, so I'll be quiet. Shaq, I think that, that that gigantic black man who looks just like you is you. No, Grandma, it's not me. Shaq, I need you to tell me the truth. Are you still? And at this point, <laughs> the cops just bust into this house. It's like the end of Christmas vacation. Or, I mean, they're coming through every window, every door to destroy her home. Or the
0: beginning of Straight Out of Compton. Either one. <laughs>
1: Her souffle falls again. Right. You boys. That's not how souffles fall. They don't fall with loud noises and bangs. It has to do with how much air you whip into the eggs and how the heat of the souffle reacts to that. It's going to fall naturally under its own weight. That's, that's inaccurate. Don't believe that. Steel is lying to you.
0: Uh, The Looney Tunes also suggests (laughs) that the souffles do in fact fall because of loud sounds. And that's corroborating evidence,
1: Chad. That's two sources. Shad gets arrested and they take him downtown because, uh, you know, they find a gun that has been planted in the basement that was the one that was maybe used to shoot down the helicopter.
0: <laughs> they put him on a flatbed truck, <laughs> throw some straps over him. <laughs> take him
1: to Broadway and put him on display for the wealthy to see. Ladies and gentlemen, right. I bring you... The ninth wonder of the world. Hey, everybody, it's me, Shaq. I'm going to go climb a building and knock down some planes.
0: Over there is Jessica Lang. She is weaving unsteadily in this movie. It's like she's drunk the whole time. Also, look at that fabulous beard on Jeff Bridges. That is some beard. I'm Shaq. i mean Kong.
1: You're referencing the worst King Kong movie. <laughs>
0: or the best. That one has Charles Groton in it. <laughs> it's the measure of greatness for me does your film have charles groden a plus
1: <laughs> and renee Aubert after Shaq gets arrested, they need some people to come down to ID him. And so they bring in the wealthy white couple. And they come in and they refuse to name Shaq because uh, he was on the right side of the law. And then poor man's Al Powell comes in and he goes down the lineup of suspects and he goes one by one and he stops at Shaq and sees the cut on his chin and he knows that it's him because he is, you know, 19 feet tall, as big as a Volkswagen, shoulder to shoulder, but he doesn't ID him. And I will say I did like this scene because it was show, not tell. You see that he's like, I know this is the guy, but he's a good dude doing the right thing. And so the scene, the scene works for what they're, they're attempting to pull off.
0: Yeah, it reminds you a lot of the Spider-Man 2 scene with the subway. And, you know, when they they find out who Spider-Man is, they see his mask off and they're like, we'll never tell. It's just kind of a nice moment where it's like, here's someone trying to save the community and the community gets behind that person.
1: That's a very fair comparison, albeit a bit of a stretch. But you know what? (laughs) I'll allow it, Counselor.
0: Spider-Man's way better. No one's arguing that spider-man 2 arguably the best spider-man movie
1: we cut to the nazis and they're looking at porno and guns on the internet <laughs> and then we come back over to sparks and she finds a website that shows there's going to be a big weapon sale happening in 11 hours so uncle joe and sparky uh come up with a plan to get shack out of jail using technology that doesn't exist And I'm going to skip all of this because it's completely implausible how they get him out of jail. It involves changing their voice to sound like another person. Shaq gets out of jail. Okay, are we good?
0: Yeah, like Uncle Joe is scamming signatures (laughs) of district attorneys. It's crazy.
1: It doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. But let's just say Shaq walks out of jail totally (laughs) scot-free. Right, pardoned.
0: (laughs) <laughs> so complete a, with signature yes all he, in he, space like <laughs> the whole sequence is like 120 seconds and it's just like what happened who what where did they get this thing okay Shaq's out all right like we spent longer talking about it but it, it was so bizarre
1: so shack and uncle joe they're in the work van with the golden retriever which it's like why would you bring your dog and later we'll see why because the plot needs it but it doesn't make sense like hey We got to go fight some Nazis and a guy who's got sonic weapon guns. Where's the dog? (laughs) What about the goldfish? Bring the goldfish and the cats. And it's the 1990s. I'm sure somebody has a ferret around here. Bring them too. You know, Lily is my comfort
0: animal. You best get her in that van. (laughs) Otherwise, my anxiety is apt to get the best of me.
1: (laughs) <laughs> they figure out where this gun sale is going down i guess from the internet because that would be public knowledge that you would just put on the internet
0: there's a whole thing throughout the movie of like judd nelson saying is the is the website almost ready like it takes more than five minutes to put together a website but whatever <laughs> at one
1: point big Willie's like yeah uh that new web page will be up in a week he says that <laughs> it's like a week what? What? what?
0: Are, aren't you just saying like, hey, we have guns for sale? That's like 90
1: seconds on GeoCities, man, in 97? In our movie, somehow the bad guys figure out where Sparky is. So they show up at the junk pile and they abduct her. So it's nighttime, and we're at this warehouse where the gun sale is going to go down. And the warehouse is being garbied by uh, Doberman pincers, which are bad dogs. And Shaq's gun is equipped with an anti-scary dog technology that frightens them away, <laughs> and it drags off the guy who's holding their leashes, which is pretty amazing.
0: They probably just got a real good look at him finally. Like, their dog eyes adjusted to the size of the monster <laughs> in front of them. Hey, dogs. It's me, Shaq. <laughs> come back i just want to pet you
1: (laughs) outside of this warehouse there are a whole bunch of limousines so hey man this place is full of big dollar high rollers it's the kind of people that only travel in limousines (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah everyone
0: just like this movie everything looks real fancy
1: (laughs) (laughs) Shaq's dressed up as steel and he parkours his way into this warehouse which is awesome i mean by parkour you mean lumbers through a hole <laughs> i was thinking it was like watching winnie the pooh go after that pot of honey that was inside rabbit's house
0: hang on kenneth you best cut i'm stuck again <laughs> so somebody get the team to get shack loose this one's a doozy <laughs> That might be two sticks of butter
1: Inside the warehouse, Burke is there with Big Willie and his mouth-toothpick, and they're demonstrating their weaponry in front of this rogue's gallery of comically villainous stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> during this sequence shack is coming in and he gets blasted by a random henchman sonic handgun and he gets knocked through a window and crashes down onto the stage where burke is standing in front of all of his criminal customers and shack tries to grab his hammer uh, slash gun slash anti-dog repellent slash laser beam shooter but burke steps on it And then at this moment, they wheel Sparks in, sitting in her wheelchair, and they have leverage over Shaq. And then Burke says, I'd kiss her sorry crippled ass goodbye and worry about myself. Yeah, he's mean.
0: (laughs) You should not refer to people that way, is the lesson.
1: (laughs) It's so horrible. Yeah. When I saw this, you know what I thought was, I was like, 1997, was this when the word crippled was just offensive or really offensive? Like, at what point did that become like, yeah, you, you not only, not you shouldn't say that, yeah, you can't say that anymore.
0: Yeah, I think this was pre-cant. Uh, I think it, it was probably in the realm of shouldn't. This whole scene is so cartoonish with the stereotypes in the audience, everything from you know, like a chic to, you know, the German lady or whatever, who's all prim and proper in her business suit. <laughs> this feels like a playset.
1: <laughs> or a scene from a Naked Gun movie. It does. Like, if you saw, this would be a
0: collection of villains that you saw in Hot Shots right before <laughs> a bomb dropped or something. <laughs> Like a cartoonish Looney Tunes bomb. And, you know, Shaq is, in quotes, sneaking in to this building. And somebody gets the drop on him, though, because he's, you know, um, uh, 22 feet tall as he comes through this window and has to stoop so he doesn't burst through the roof.
1: Laying prone on the stage, Shaq is taller than most people in the room. (laughs) Yeah, it's like he's doing a one-man show of Gulliver's Travels. At this point, Burke tells all of these criminals that he's going to lease them the guns because they need to be recharged, which I don't understand his business model at all. And then for some reason, Burke kills Big Willie as a show of force. And one of the criminals says, how much for the guns? But then another criminal says, why do you want our money? You can just steal all you want, thus undermining whatever business model Burke's put together. But then Burke says, this isn't about money, which yes it is it's all about money like what are you talking about well because someone says well this is about power
0: and he's like exactly so his plan is i'll sell you the guns but you basically you have to come to me for the bullets so i get to control conflicts i can control world conflicts i can decide whoever has this weapon will rule the world and i'm the one supplying them with that weapon so like it's a power play ultimately it's not a great plan
1: I had checked out at this point.
0: I just, I didn't care. <laughs> oh no. I, I was waiting for another hot dog line to come out of his mouth. So anytime <laughs> Burke is, you know, monologuing in this movie, I'm like,
1: go on, Mr. Burke. Tell me more. Burke brings in the armored car that's been used for all the bank ice and patches is there with all of his not dead, uh, homies as the script calls them burke says that he always uses rats for the preliminary testing and it's here that he tells patches hey that hot dog you ate was pork and not turkey and that's beyond the pale for patches he rushes after burke and then he gets shot and then we cut over to uncle joe who is at the work van and a henchman shows up and puts a gun to his head. But luckily Lily, the golden retriever is there who jumps out and attacks the henchman and Uncle Joe punches the henchman in the face, knocking him unconscious. And I don't think that's how fighting really works. I think he would have punched that henchman. And then that henchman would have started beating the shit out of this old man. And then Lily the Golden Retriever would have gotten into it. And we would have had a real ballyhoo out in the warehouse courtyard.
0: (laughs) And then the dude would have just shot the dog.
1: (laughs) Right. They would have shot Uncle Joe and that would have been it.
0: Here's another thing that gets a point in a film's favor if you include it. Uh, Not just Charles Grodin, but also if you have a shot in a movie of a dog jumping in midair in slow motion, (laughs) it's all right, I'm in. Uh, And this has that when Lily jumps from the van. To Kenneth Johnson's credit, he resisted the urge to put a bionic woman sound beneath it. (laughs) Which would have been the best if, if it turned out that we had a bionic dog on our hands the whole time? This would be the greatest movie I'd ever seen. It's a, basically it's a chomps away from
1: perfection. <laughs> Burke
0: announces
1: (laughs) that he has created a weapon that is five times more powerful than any other weapon that has been created Uh, and 20 times more than what you people call fun (laughs) shack i guess is still just laying on the ground which is where he's been since he fell out of that window but he eventually gets (laughs) up and he's like he's like hey you say your weapon's five times more powerful he says well well my hammer is more powerful than that just hit it right there on the bottom and whatever you do don't flip that red switch And please, please, whatever you do, don't throw my hammer in the briar patch. That would be the worst thing you could do. Is
0: that the second Breer Rabbit reference in as many weeks as
1: we've had? Quite possibly. Oh my
0: (laughs) goodness. This turned turning into the podcast equivalent of Song of the South
1: we cut to uncle joe who is for some reason talking to colonel charles napier from the beginning of the movie and he's like hey this is shaft uh why don't you send some military helicopters over to save the day and he's like all right whatever you say i'm on my way
0: i got some real villainous types here you better send (laughs) over some helicopters and maybe some men with guns this is Shaq. i mean steel
1: We cut back to the warehouse and Burke's there like, you know, nobody's going to tell me not to flip this red switch. So he flips the red switch, which makes Shaq suit a magnet and the hammer flies over into Shaq's hands. And at this point, Sparks... She flips a switch on her wheelchair and it just starts blasting rockets all over the warehouse, shooting people and things and stuff. Yeah. And then she supersonic blaster powers with some rocket boosters and just escapes the warehouse during this massive gunfight.
0: In a movie like this, I think it's fair to say that all heck breaks loose yes um it's it's a lot of smoke and explosions and and guns going off and people falling down but there's no there's no peck and paw to this movie uh no 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 <laughs> and I'll tell you, the the cruelest thing in this movie is when Shaq isn't in an elevator or whatever. But anyway, uh, it, it's the dude who tosses the grenade through the hole. And Ray uh, J. Yeah, it's, it's n- J, num-
1: num- number two.
0: Yeah, and Ray J is like, you gotta throw the grenade back, Shaq. I mean, steal. And he's like, oh no, I'm no good at this. And
1: <laughs> Every time I've tried to make anything that looked like a basketball go into a hoop... I missed the whole movie, and now it's up to me. I got to throw a grenade through a teeny tiny little hole in the <laughs> in the, the chain link fence up above. I'm Shaq. I mean Steel. Oh, my gosh. I never make these.
0: Ray J, I know you weren't here for the whole movie, but let me catch you up. I've been throwing free throws through the whole thing. I ain't made a one. This is not looking good for Shaq. I mean Steel. Uh, but, yeah, sure enough, he... He throws it and he makes me I never made those. That is crazy. I'm Shaq. And then off they go. It really is one of those things of like, oh my god, did he just throw a grenade back at a dude and blow him up? That's
1: Yeah, but number two gets away. It blows up, but he just like scampers off because that's what this movie does. Like, no one's really going to get hurt.
0: Yeah, and, and that kind of brings us to the ultimate end of Burke, which is that, you know, he's got his little sonic weapon and he's like, you know... Hey, Steel. I mean, Shaq. I know who you are, and I'm gonna shoot you with uh, this sonic weapon. And and Shaq's like, you know, go ahead. I think you're gonna be in for a surprise. And
1: I'm <laughs> so- rubber, you're glue. It's gonna bounce off me, and it's gonna stick to you. Go for it, buddy.
0: Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what that means, Shaq. <laughs> Fire. And and sure enough, it bounces right off Shaq's. <laughs> like the the big climax of the movie is like a deflection. <laughs>
1: Off his ass, yeah.
0: <laughs> Take this. It's like it's like a, a seismic fart.
1: And then burke gets knocked over or something. Yeah, he
0: just uh, like falls back into some litter.
1: And then Sparks escapes with Uncle Joe. Then Shack and Ray J get inside the armor car and they crash through the wall to escape the burning warehouse. And then they both pop out. And it is at this moment that Ray J realizes that Steel is his older brother Shaq yeah he's like oh my god you're my brother i could be robin we could be like dre and snoop and she's like hey whatever you do don't tell grandma i'm cracking jokes outside a burning warehouse inside there are semi-conscious people burning alive or dying of smoke inhalation
0: i know somebody mentioned a hot dog earlier and now i smell something like pork <laughs> it's got me all kinds of hungry And also conflicted, because I think it is human flesh.
1: (laughs) They all climb in the work van and get away. Then a bunch of military helicopters show up and arrest all the people that wanted to buy guns. And in the end, Shaq gets away free and clear. There's some added noise of Shaq talking to Colonel Charles Napier on this voice modulator that sounds like Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger. But don't worry about that. Um, And then we cut to Grandma opening up her restaurant. Wait, wait, wait
0: let's not call it a restaurant chad what it is is this woman has put some chairs and balloons in her front yard (laughs) that is not how it works
1: isn't the yard sale equivalent of a restaurant like some days it's there some days it's not
0: yeah if it's raining ain't no restaurant today
1: (laughs) is this place owned
0: residential or commercial because that's Uh, not legit does she have a business license (laughs) has anyone inspected her kitchen i don't think she has a driver's license right and a bunch of people are like mm, this is delicious meanwhile everyone's dying to salmonella
1: <laughs> and during this scene all of our non-dead characters are eating <laughs> meals out in the lawn and grandma's like i sure am proud of Steele," and she's like i'd be proud to have him in my family she winks at shack and shack smiles back and then it's revealed that she has successfully made a souffle which okay we brought that home if i might
0: chad before we leave the She successfully makes a souffle.
1: Shaq's reaction to it
0: is, I always knew you could do it. So you put your mind to something.
1: (laughs) Sparks then shows off. She's like, hey, I've, I've made some modifications to my wheelchair. And it bends in such a way that she stands upright. And she is fully standing up. So her face is now eye level with Shaq's belt buckle. And Shaq looks down at her and he's like, hey, Sparks, you got... Uh, magic legs just like lieutenant dan in a better movie that's not this one and then the movie ends with the song stand up which includes the lyrics stand up you gotta do what you gotta do Mm -hmm. and then we roll credits so burke is dead in a warehouse fire and everybody else is eating french soul food cuisine and our movie's over yeah well done steel at all I want to go back to where we started having talked about this <laughs> is the movie steel a superhero movie Yeah. He doesn't have superpowers,
0: really. Uh, Yeah, but neither does Batman, and that's a superhero movie. Like, he's got gadgets.
1: Batman's super smart. He is the
0: world's greatest detective. So is John Henry Irons. He he invents weapons. Mm. And he made this suit for himself, like uh, he and his team. On the one hand, there's almost this weird realism to it of like, you know, nothing he's doing here aside from the the weaponry itself, which is a little James Bond-ish. Nothing else is that crazy. I mean, he's riding on a motorcycle and... I mean, he's Shaq. He conks people on the head and they fall down. And that happens in real life, too. <laughs> so, you know, it's not it's not that much of a stretch. But it, it lacks a seriousness of something like, uh, there was a movie Woody Harrelson did called Defender. That is sort of the idea of, like, what would a, a real-life superhero be like, only it's much darker. Uh, or even uh, Super, the James Gunn movie. Right. And something like that kind of really examines the subject matter. Whereas this feels kind of campy and a little over alone you know at the end of the day i don't think it's a bad movie i don't I, I don't think it's a terribly good superhero film i think it is a superhero movie i just don't think it's a very good one is condor man a superhero movie sure yeah it's somebody becoming a hero you know it's the hero's journey with gadgets and or superpowers
1: all right i will take that as a uh, as a final verdict What do we have coming up next week? Next week is
0: our foray into modern BC with Justice
1: League. Oh, wow. That's definitely a superhero movie.
0: Yeah, this is a heavy hitter. We are taking a look at the Zack Snyder slash... Joss Whedon, hey, holy shit! Did you see how much money Avengers made? DC attempt to do the the superhero team film.
1: Well, I've got to sharpen my pencil and start doing my homework because this one's got a whole lot going on in it. As always, if you like our show, like, rate, review, tell your friends about it. Everybody likes Pick Six movies. Take it from me, Shaq. And if you need car insurance, go to the General. If your back hurts. Put some icy hot on it. If your balls are getting moist, put some gold bond on it. And if you need to go on a cruise, go on Carnival. Take it from me, Shaq.
0: I never could hit these things.
1: We'll see you next week.